I want to say a big thank you to our worship team this morning. Um, they, they do such a great job. At, what I love about it the most is the genuineness that I, that I see from it and just the, um, the scriptural soundness in the, in the songs that they sing. Um, the, it's just fantastic. I, I'm so thankful for y'all. I hope you never take that for granted. I'm, I'm just so very thankful for each and every one of you. If you got your Bibles this morning, and I pray that you do, turn to the book of Revelation chapter 10. If you don't have it, we will have it on the screen for you. That's one reason we do this. Um, But I do encourage you to have your own Bible and um, try to, as much as possible, at least stay in the main section of the Scripture with me. And then as I go through the references in the, the sermon... Hopefully you can just turn your eyes to the screen to where you can stay with me because I like for you to be, when I reference a scripture, I like for you to be able to see for yourself what the Word of God has to say about this because at the end of each and every service that we have, I don't ever want you to leave out of here and say, well, Brother Kevin said this. I would much rather you walk out of here and say, God said this. And if God said it, then we can live by it, we can trust it, we can take it to the bank. And so um, that's my desire, that's the reason we do this. But we're going to read Revelation chapter 10, verse 1 through 11. I know you've been standing, but if you have the means and you're able, if you would stand one more time, just as we read through the living Word of God. Revelation chapter 10, we're going to be talking about the angel and the scroll. The angel and the scroll. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as He announced to His servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel, who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. You can be seated. I want you to um, try to stay with me. If you haven't been here and you're new to the Revelation series that we've been going through, some of this may get confusing. Um, Unfortunately, I can't back up and re-preach as much as I would love to. I can't re-preach every sermon to get you up to this point. So um, I'm just praying that you at least catch bits and pieces of it and that you find application for it. Some of the stuff that you see in this um, is very strange. And the reason being is because there is a spirit world that is much more real than this physical world. Um, I remember a story in the Old Testament. I think it was Elisha, if I remember right. Him and his servant woke up one morning and they were surrounded by a Syrian army, I believe is what it was. And the servant come in and woke Elisha up and he said... um, Master, we're surrounded. We, there's no, we have no way out. There's nothing we can do. And I can remember Elisha got up and he looked and um, he said, No, no, we're not. He said, Actually, those that are with us are more than those that have surrounded us. And the servant said, What are you talking about? Can't you see what's around us? Can't you see what, that we're surrounded? 
And if I remember right, I believe Elisha just prayed and he asked God to open his servant's eyes. He said, open his eyes so that he can see. And the Bible tells us that his eyes were opened and when he looked around, all around the mountainsides, there was an angel army that was surrounding the Syrian army that had encamped them. And so one of the things that we understand is that we don't have eyes to see what is really taking place in the spiritual realm. And so in this situation, I believe we see another example of this. I do believe that this is a literal event that is going to take place of this mighty angel. But I also believe that it will be taking place more than likely in the spiritual realm. I don't believe that the people of earth will necessarily see a mighty angel with one foot on the land and one foot on the sea holding a little scroll. I, I, I don't know that, that that's the way that it will go down. But I do believe that this is a literal event that actually has happened and will happen again when this moment comes. But I want to um, take you... I wanted to try to do chapters 10 and 11 today. I should have known better than that. And, um, and I did, so I backed up and decided we would just do chapter 10 today and I'm going to try to take this thing at least one chapter at a time. But if you will remember, when we got to the, to the, to the sixth seal, when they were open, there were seven seals. He opened the sixth seal. Between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, there was an interlude. Actually, there was a pause in the events that were taking place. And this pause took place in Revelation chapter 7. And what we got was at the end of chapter 6, when the sixth seal was completed, a question was asked. And the question was, who can stand? In other words, who could possibly live and make it through all of this wrath that is being poured out on the earth? And chapter 7 breaks off from the events of the seals and he shows us a glimpse of the ministry that is going to be taking place here on this earth during those times. And he shows us a glimpse into heaven as the result of that ministry as well. And so I want you to understand, when you read through the book of Revelations, we're not always following in chronological order. Many times we are. When we're going through the seals, one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, they go just like that. But in Revelation, we get a break between the sixth and the seventh seal that shows us a picture of things that are taking place. Here in the same manner, we get a break between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. And so here at the end of the sixth trumpet, we have an interlude, a pause, and we have... Because the, again, the, the hell has just been released on earth. The hell has belched and the contents of hell that are there in chains have poured out onto this earth and they have tormented and they have killed many, many people. And so I would imagine the question is probably asked again, probably John asking in his own heart and his own mind, who can stand? Who can make it? And so then we get a vision of the ministry that is going to be taking place here on earth in chapter 10 and chapter 11. And then we get a vision again of, at the end of chapter 11, of the res response in heaven. And so we'll see those in the coming weeks. But just stay with me right now that this is a pause where John gets a vision and God gives him this vision to encourage him to keep the ministry up here on this earth while there is time. Because all of these things you're reading here are future. They're not here yet. And so right now, you and I and John still have a ministry here on this earth. And the only way that people are going to make it is by coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel. So with that intro, today we're going to look at Revelation chapter 10 and this is where we start in verse 1. He says, Then I saw another mighty angel and he is coming down from heaven. He's wrapped in a cloud. He has a rainbow over his head. His face shines like the sun. Literally, when you look at his face, it's like looking at the sun. He has legs like... Pillars of fire. And so one of the first questions I want to address is, 
Who is this angel? Now I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because it's not that important. But it is a topic here, so I want to at least cover it. There are some very well-respected teachers that believe this is the Lord Jesus that has come down, and I'll show you reasons why they believe this. I don't necessarily believe this is Him. I'm not trying to argue with anybody. I just see it a little bit different. But for sake of study, let's look and see who this angel is. Now, first off it says He comes wrapped in a cloud. And if you'll remember, the Bible says when the Son of Man comes back, He's coming with the what? With the clouds. And so yes, like the Son of Man, He comes down from heaven and He is coming wrapped in a cloud. So we see that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, this is what it says. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so we see that that's a possibility there. He also has a rainbow over his head. And if you'll remember back from earlier chapters in Revelation chapter 5, I believe it was, the Bible says that around his throne was a rainbow. And so we see that this kind of translates, and so still possible that it could be the Lord Jesus Christ here. But then we also see that His face shines like the sun. And in Revelation chapter 1 verse 16, we do see that, um, let me find it here, in His right hand He held seven stars, and from His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and His face was like the sun shining in full strength. So again, another similarity. So I'm not ruling out that it could be Jesus here. Then another scripture that we get um, is Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. And I want you to notice what the whole thing says here. Verse 12 says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like the Son of Man. Now again, I can't go back and re-preach this, but... Here's the the point. He saw one like the Son of Man. So he distinguished this one that he sees in Revelation chapter 1 from angels, right? He said this one is like the Son of Man. And then he goes on. He says he's clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. So many similarities. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying this, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And so one of the first things that makes me believe that this angel in Revelation chapter 10 is not Jesus is the fact that in many other scriptures throughout Revelations, there is a a clear um, uh, distinguishing of Jesus when He comes on the scene. It's not identified as just another angel or even a mighty angel. He is identified as one like the Son of Man. He has a lot of these qualities, yet he identifies himself as the first and as the last. Another scripture in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, it reads this, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And so here's the point that I'm making with that. In places you go in Revelations, there is always a clear distinguishing between Jesus and the angels. It's never really a mistake that someone thinks, well, this is just an angel. When they see Jesus, they know that This is Jesus. So that's one reason why I believe that this is just another angel. My other, my second reason is the fact that in Revelation chapter 10 verse, um, verse 6, it says, the angel swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven 
and what is in it. The earth and what is in it. The sea and what is in it. And so he swore by the one whom did all these things. Now granted, there are places in the Word of God where the Bible says God swore by Himself. However, if you were to go to those places, just to name a few, one would be Genesis chapter 22 where God made a covenant with Abraham. I think it's verse 16. He said, when God said, I swear by Myself that I'm going to do this. And so God does swear by Himself. But in, I can give you over four examples throughout the Old Testament where He swears by Himself. But in none of them does He ever say, I swear by the one whom. He always says, I swear by myself. And that's not what this angel says. This angel says, I swear by the one who created heaven and earth. By the one who lives forever and ever. So I believe this angel is pointing toward the Lord Jesus Christ when he swears by the one who lives forever and ever. Now, here's what I believe. This angel has been directly in the presence of Almighty God. And that's the reason for Him being wrapped in a cloud, for Him having the rainbow over His head. If you'll remember, the Bible tells us that the angels are going to be the ones that administer His judgment to the world. They're the ones that are blowing the trumpets. They're the ones that pour out the bowls of wrath. The angels are, the, are God's agents of judgment. And so what I see here is God sending His angel, angel of judgment down to the earth. He stands down on the earth with one foot on the land, one foot on the sea. And then He comes with a cloud wrapped around Him because clouds were also indicative of coming judgment. But because this angel comes in judgment, He also comes with a rainbow over His head. Anybody remember what the rainbow was? It was God's promise that I will never judge the world and destroy the world by flood again. God made this promise to Abraham. And so I believe all this rainbow is, is this angel coming down, God's uh, minister of judgment, and he stands here wrapped in a cloud, but then there's a reminder that says, yes, it's time to judge, but we're never going to do it this way again. I've made a promise to one of mine that I'm not going to do this. And so I believe that that is the result of the rainbow around his head. I also believe that his face is shining like the sun because he has been in constant presence of the Almighty One. You remember the time that Moses, God said, Moses, ask me for anything. You remember what Moses asked for? God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. God said, Moses, you can't handle it. He said, but I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by, and I'll let you see my hind parts. You remember what happened to Moses when he saw the hind part, the passing of God, just the passing of it. When he reached the bottom of the mountain, he had to wear a veil over his face because his face shines so bright, just from being in the afterglow of the glory of God. So I, I, I don't believe it's any coincidence here that this angel comes down with his face shining like the sun because... This angel has been in the constant presence of Almighty God and he is reflecting exactly what he has been in front of for his entire life as far as we know. And so those are just a few reasons. And, and, and then again, his feet are on fire. I believe that's the reason why he puts one of them in the sea, trying to cool it off, maybe. I don't know. That's just, that's just my thoughts. may not be nothing to that. So... The angel is a mighty angel that has been in the presence of God. He is administering God's, uh, God's judgment and he is here to give a message, if you will, to John before the coming judgment is administered. So next, let's look at the angel's message. If you're taking notes, I've got four points on the angel's message. The first point is this. It's a message of absolute authority absolute authority. You know, today we live in an age where authority is questioned and rejected everywhere. There's no concept of authority anymore. Teachers don't have authority. Principals don't have authority. Police don't have authority. Nobody has authority anymore. The president don't have authority. No one has authority. We live in that age today. But I want you to understand something. With this angel coming 
a mighty angel. I mean, just look at this guy. Now imagine this for just a minute. This guy comes down out of heaven. He plants one foot on the sea. And he plants one foot on the land. This, this dude is massive. When you just look at him, who's going to argue with him? Who's going to look at him and say, no, you don't know what you're talking about. We're not going to listen to you. He comes in absolute... This is the Lord God saying, this is just a creation of mine. And look at him. He comes in absolute authority and no one can reject it. Again, in verse 2, he set... I love to pick out the pieces of this. In verse 2 it says, and he set... His right foot on the sea. When you set something, that means it's there. And you ain't moving it. He set His right foot on the sea and His left foot on the land. The next thing in verse 3, it says, And He called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. I don't know if you know much about a lion's roar. But that's why they're the king of the jungle. When that lion roars, everything else shuts down. Nothing else challenge it, challenges it. This is a, an authoritative voice. He sets, He roars, and you're not arguing with this. And then in verse 6, I want you to notice what He says in verse 6. And He swore by Him who lives forever and ever. He swore. So He sets Himself down. He roars with His voice and He swears that what he's fixing to say, the message he's fixing to give, there is absolute authority behind it and nothing can change it. It will come to pass. It will be what it is. And so that's the first thing. It's a message of absolute authority. The second thing, it's an answer to the age-old question. How long, Lord? It's an answer to the age-old question. How long, Lord? I want to read a few scriptures to help you see this. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1, look at some of the questions that have been asked over the years. And you've probably asked this question at times in your life. <clears throat> in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1, he said, first off, Jeremiah makes sure to start the conversation off right. Notice this. He says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. In other words, before I start complaining, God, I want you to understand something. I know that you're right and I'm wrong. Let's just get that established right off the bat. You are righteous when I complain to you. Yet, I would plead my case before you. And so here's his case. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? That's a good question, ain't it? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Another way to translate this would say, why do... The faithless seem to just everything go their way. They just they get everything they, their heart desires. You plant them and they take root. They grow, they produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O oh Lord, know me. You see me. You test my heart towards you. And so anyway, if you skip over to verse 4, he says, How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beast and the birds are swept away because they said, He will not see our latter end. In other words, in their hearts they say, we ain't got to give account for nothing. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Let's live however we want to because there's no account to be given. And Jeremiah comes on the scene and he says, God, listen, I'm doing everything I can to live for you. And yet when I look around, why is it that the evil are the ones that I see they, 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 they have it all. They get it all. That's a, it's a good question. Another question asked by Job in Job 21 verse 7. Job said, Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? And you remember this was when Job had sores all over his body. He sat with uh, seven dead sons and three dead daughters, I believe is what it was. But uh, how, however it was, but he's, he, all of his children were dead. All of his possessions were gone. And now here he sits on his deathbed, only he can't die. And the only thing he can ask is, God, why do the wicked live and reach old age and grow mighty in power? And then if you were to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14, this is Solomon, the wisest man in the world. 
Solomon asked this question, or he says this. He said, there is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said, this also is vanity. And then in Habakkuk, I love the prophet Habakkuk, in, in his book of uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 2, listen to what he said. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? You ever felt like that? How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And look at his result. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. You ever feel that way? The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted. And again, I could go on and on and on, but this is the age-old question. God, why do you just let evil go on in the world? Why do you let all this, why do you let the devil keep coming and attacking me and attacking my family? And why don't you just hurry up and take justice out on this world and wipe it all away? Amen. And we have the answer to this age-old question right here in Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation chapter 10, verse 6 and 7, the angel declares his message, and look what he says. And the angel swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it. And here's the message, that there would be no more delay. The delay is over. God has been delayed up to this point. Now you need to understand this, you need to get this, because the delay will not last forever. He lets you continue on in your sin. He lets you continue on in your rebellion against Him for right now. He lets evil go on in the world. And He does it because He's long-suffering. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, I believe it is. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Do you presume on the... Or you can replace that word with disregard. Do you disregard on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? He's being patient and it is His kindness that allows this to continue on. We reap the consequences of it, right? We turn on the news. Our children are the ones that are in the schools that are being shot up. Our children are the ones that are sitting in homes that are being molested. We're the recipients of this evil that continues to go on in the world. And God says this to each and every one of you. Don't disregard my kindness. It's riches of my forbearance. It's riches of my patience. And it's meant to lead you to repentance. And then look what he says. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. In other words, the day is coming when the delay will be no more. And the angel says at this point right here, between the sixth and the seventh seal, he sets his feet, one on the land, one on the sea, and with a lion's voice that roars, he swears by the one who lives forever and ever, the creator of all things, the delay will be no more. In other words, God's kindness, God's forbearance, and God's patience with evil has come to an end. And this is it. And it'll be no more. And so I'm telling you right now, we see this warning because there's still delay right now. Are y'all following me? You still have the kindness of His forbearance, the kindness of His patience. But let me tell you, if you don't get rid of this hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath that is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
And so this is an answer to the age-old question, how long, Lord? Here's the answer right here. There is coming a day when God says, no more. No more patience. No more forbearing. Judgment is here. This is where we see Ephesians chapter... Well, let me finish reading Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10 verse um, 7. So there will be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. What mystery? The mystery of what I just told you. Of all the things that are going on in this world and why things are the way that they are. And what is God going to do about it? And he answers that question. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 and 10, Paul talks about this mystery. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9, he says, God is making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so He is going to unite all things. There is coming a day where because of what Christ has done on the cross, He will save all of those who are in Him and covered by His blood and He will demolish all evil, and it will be no more. And all things will be united in Him because of what He has done and because of who He is. This is the time that the fullness has been reached. This is the time that evil will reign no more. I want to show you what I mean by that. Look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 through 19. Just so you know that this is true, what I'm saying. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God, they fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to You, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for You have taken Your great power and begun to reign. Now remember, at this point, God doesn't completely reign. He does, and yet He relinquishes some of that reign to you and to evil on this world. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that God has given us over. He's given this world over to live according to their own hearts. The Bible says that we have impure desires in our heart. That we have dishonorable passions in us. That we have debased minds. And God has given us over to that. I've been ministering to... To, to some new believers here recently and I've been telling them over and over the worst advice the world has ever given is this right here just follow your heart your heart knows best let me tell you something look at the world turn on the news tonight and you tell me can this world follow its heart that's what's wrong with the world is you follow your heart. The Bible says this, the heart of man is wicked and deceitful above all things. And then he goes on to say this, who can know it? Who can understand it? And so the worst advice you will ever receive from anybody is follow your heart. Matter of fact, let me tell you this, whatever your heart tells you to do, you know what you need to do? Whatever is the exact opposite. If your heart says, man, this is just what I feel like I'm supposed to do, you need to look at your heart and say, I ain't trusting you, you idiot. That's the reason I am where I am today. And you do exactly the opposite. That's free. I ain't going to charge you for that. <clears throat> so, the answer to the age-old question, how long will evil reign in this world? Well, here's the answer. The delay will be no more. Evil will come to an end. God will reign. He will take power from everything on this earth and He will reign over it all. And this day is coming. Number three, the message angel. The angel's message, I'm sorry. Number three, the message reminds us that God doesn't tell us everything. 
The message reminds us that God doesn't tell us everything. Listen, you're not God. You don't know it all. Matter of fact, you know probably exactly less than 1% of nothing is is how much you know. But let's see what I'm talking about here. In um, verse 4 of Revelation chapter 10, look what he says. And when the seven thunders had sounded, now I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't know what the seven thunders are. I'm not even going to try to explain it to you because all of it is speculation. I don't know. All I know is John said, seven thunders sounded at the roar of this angel's voice. And they said something. And then it says this, And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. So it wasn't just thunder John heard, right? I mean, how you write thunder? He's hearing something. They said something. And he's fixing to write it because that's what he's been commissioned to do. But then look what he says. But then I heard a voice, just a single voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. We are reminded in this message that God don't tell you everything. God don't share His entire plan with you. He don't answer every question. In this life, you are going to have many questions. You understand that, right? You're not going to understand everything. There are going to be things that happen in your life that make no sense. And just like the prophets of old that we just went back and read, there are going to be many times that you're going to say before God, God, listen, I know you're righteous, but I need to plead my case with you. I just don't know about this right here. And so we don't understand everything and that's okay. You know, there's mysteries all throughout the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32 says that the mystery of marriage is a profound mystery. And no one understood marriage until Christ come. It was just something that was tradition that they did. They followed Adam and Eve in the garden and this is where it went. But now that Christ has come, it's no longer a mystery. We understand why God created it and what He meant by it. And it makes sense to us now. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, uh, Paul tells us there is a mystery of true godliness. Literally, he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. In other words, how we become godly. Have you ever looked at your own heart and went, God, how in the world do you consider this thing godly? How in the world do you look at me and see goodness? How is that even possible? And so the mystery of godliness is explained in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, there's a mystery of what happens at death. Look what he says. Behold, I tell you a what? A mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And when I say all, I mean all. Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting death. But we shall all be changed. And so again, it's a mystery, but... There are things that God lets us see glimpses of. I could go on and on. Ephesians chapter 3, verse two, uh, verses 2 through 5, uh, there's a mystery of Israel being chosen by God. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. You get mystery after mystery after mystery. Here's the point. We're not commanded to follow God because we understand everything and because He explains everything to us. We're commanded to walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, we trust that God is indeed good, God is righteous, and that His way is best. I love one of the, the, I love the whole song, but Savannah was singing a song. He says, um, um, I will trust you, Jesus. You have said your way is best. And again, I'll trust you, but then I love when it gets to the chorus. Jesus, help me to trust you more and more. In other words, I'm like that man of that demon-possessed child. Lord, I believe, but... And this is our prayer right here. God, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. We don't understand everything. There is mysteries and everything, but I trust you and I know you're good. And that's all that Jeremiah did in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1 again, if you can bring that one back up. You remember, before he ever started his complaint, he didn't understand. It didn't make no sense to him. But before he even started his complaint, he starts out in faith right away and he says, God, righteous are you. You're good. That's the bottom line. I don't care what I understand, what I don't understand. I don't care what I get, what I don't get. You're good. 
Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case to you. So God, I don't understand this. And let me tell you something, that's okay. Those kind of prayers are okay. Don't ever tell somebody, don't ever tell somebody that we, we shouldn't ask God why. Uh, that, that's, not, that's not true. That's a lie. We ought to ask God why. As long as we do it in faith that understands, God, I don't understand everything. I don't get the big picture, but I know you're good. I know you're righteous, and I know I trust you. And those questions can come out, and who knows? He answers some of them. Matter of fact, He answers a lot of them. So again, the message reminds us that God doesn't tell us everything, but we walk by faith, not by sight. Number four, this is my last point for today. The message is a command to be followed. The message is a command to be followed. Let me see what we see in this command. So if you would, start in verse 8 with me. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. It's a command. This message is a command for you to go and take the scroll. Now here's the thing about it. The scroll, I believe, is the same scroll we've been reading about with the seals and everything else. The seals have been opened. The scroll has been opened. And I believe that the angel has the scroll. And contained in this scroll are the the uh, requirements of what will take place in order for God to reign completely on this earth. This is what I'm going to do to demolish evil. This is what I'm going to do to save the rest of them that are here. And so as, as John looks and he hears from this voice, this voice says, go to that angel and take that scroll from him. Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm looking at that angel... And God tells me to go take something from him. That's tough. But nonetheless, John understands this is command for him to follow. What do we take out of this? In the same way, we have to go and get the Word. We have to go and get this Word of God and we have to put it in us. You know, I love the words of the famous Mr. Sutton. For any of y'all that went to Giles County High School, I had a teacher, his name was Mr. Sutton. Mr. Sutton loved me. He put me a desk right beside of his every class. He loved me. He loved me. That's a true story. <clears throat> and he'd sit there with a yardstick and smack it on my desk and get on to me and all this other stuff. But anyway, we all don't need to know about all that. <clears throat> Mr. Sutton, we, everybody else would be taking a test, and me, I usually got my head down trying to sleep. I didn't care about school. But um, I can remember... Um, he would smack that ruler on that desk. He'd say, Wells, you got to open the book. It ain't going to jump out and say, here I am. And the point is, you got to get in it. You got to go and get it. The Bible says this. God says, those who seek me with all their heart will find me. God does not reward aimless people. And so he tells John, go get it. Go get it. There it is. You ever, you ever so often thought to yourself, well, God just won't speak to me. God, God just ain't saying nothing to me. Why is God so silent? That don't look like silence to me. God has said a lot. The problem is we don't like what He said. But He tells us, here's my word, go and take it. Go and get it. But then not just that, look what He says in verse 9 through 10. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll. I laugh every time. I see this in my head. So he goes, now listen, imagine this. Imagine you were, you were standing here and um, you've got this scroll and all of a sudden this flea that you can barely even see walks up to the end of your foot and says, Hey, give me the little scroll in your hand. That's probably what I'm thinking, right? But the angel knows why he's there and the angel hands him the scroll. But keep reading with me. And he said to me, 
Take and eat it. Here's the other command. So go get it and now take it. Eat it. In other words, don't just pick it up and read it. Man, be like a cow with his cud. Chew on this thing for a while. Meditate on this thing for a while. Take this into you so that you ingest it first because you can't give somebody else what you don't have first. And so he tells them here, take it and eat it, ingest it. And then in verse 11, we see the... Let me finish this so you get the understanding. Verse 10, And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Let me tell you something about the Bible. Let me tell you something about God's scroll. There's a sweetness to it. And there's a bitterness to it. I eat this thing and I'm like, man, who don't like salvation, right? Who don't like heaven? Who don't like the good things of God? But let me tell you something. There's a part of you, a whole you, that has to die first. And when you recognize that, it may be sweet in your mouth, but it's bitter in your stomach. And so here we see John with all of the judgments of God and he sees all that God is going to do on his throne and he takes it in and it's sweet in his mouth, but it's bitter. It's bitter in his stomach. And then look at verse 11. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, and languages, and kings. Again, here's the, we're looking for the command. You must again prophesy. You can't quit. John, you can't quit. Just because you've seen the end, you can't stop. You must take what you have seen, take what you've ingested, take what God has shared with you, and you must take it and share it with everybody else. Guys, I know the world hates Christians and it's getting worse. Y'all know that, right? But let me tell you something. I don't hate the world. I love them. That's the truth. I don't hate you. I don't hate a sinner. I love you. And the very way you are to know I love you is because I'm taking what God has shown me and I believe it. With all my heart, I believe it. And I'm taking it, I'm trying to do the same thing to you. I'm trying to prophesy. That word prophesy simply means to speak what God has spoken to you. That's all a prophet did. People often think, well, prophet was about future telling. Was there a part of their prophesying that entailed that? Yeah, parts of it. But that's not what being a prophet meant. Being a prophet meant saying this, Thus says the Lord, This is what God has said. And so when I stand up here before you today, all I'm doing is taking what I went and got, what I ingested in myself, and now both the sweetness and the bitterness in me from it cries out to all of mankind and says, Thus says the Lord, and I love you. And I'm trying to see Christ fully formed in you so that you're not storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. Y'all, y'all picking up what I'm putting down? I'm trying to leave a cookie trail right here. I don't know if you're getting it or not. And so we go get it. We take it and we prophesy. And we do it now while there is still delay. Think about what the angel has said to John. Right now... There is still delay. You must prophesy right now. Let me tell you, after this point, the truth of the matter is, it probably ain't no sense in it. We have to understand that there is delay now. But when the delay is over, when this seventh trumpet sounds, the bowls pour out. And let me tell you, they are one right after the other. There is no catching your breath. There is no more delay. The judgment of God is upon the evil of this world and Jesus has begun to reign. And when He reigns, He's destroying evil and those that are in Him are the only ones that are saved from the wrath that is to come. I close with this this, um, this message. (laughs) I close with 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll just read it together. 
hope this puts it all in context for you. 2 Peter chapter 3, let's start in verse 8. And all I'm going to do is read it. Music team, if y'all want to come on up. All I'm going to do is read it. The invitation is right here in it. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. I know you're sitting here thinking, man, it's been 2,000 years. You're right. It's been 2,000 years. But your time and God's time are not the same. And He says here, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but He is patient towards you. Remember, we got delay right now, right? We got patience. We got forbearance. And here's why He is patient not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I want you to understand something today. Right now there is still patience. Right now there is still forbearance. And these are the riches of God's kindness. But don't disregard it. Listen to Him. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your desires. Don't trust your mind. Line it up with the Word of God. Line it up with what God has said. And if it don't line up, let Him prick your heart. You turn away from those things and you surrender to Him. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And I pray that it does that before the day of wrath comes.